where he included fresh details that Charles had forgotten the first time around. Meanwhile, Pepys resolved to trace those still alive from the motley bunch that had helped the king on his journey from shattering defeat to miraculous delivery. An exceptionally busy man, being at different times a member of Parliament for two constituencies and Chief Secretary to the Admiralty, Pepys had hoped to piece together the whole correct version of the astonishing tale of escape and present it as the definitive account. It appears that he had completed almost his entire collection of relevant documents by December 1684, two months before Charles's sudden death at the age of 54, for that was when he had it bound. A few additions were kept with this volume, including Colonel George Gunter's report, which arrived at some point during the first seven months of 1685. There is a paragraph near the start of Colonel Gunter's offering which underlines the way in which those intimately involved in Charles's escape attempt felt they had been chosen, for whatever reason, to be participants in an event whose eventual outcome had been determined by God. Gunter wrote, Here, before I proceed in the story, the reader will give me leave to put him in mind that we write not an ordinary story where the reader engaged by no other interest than curiosity, may soon be cloyed with circumstances which signify no more unto him but that the author was at good leisure and was very confident of his reader's patience. In the relation of miracles, every petty circumstance is material and may afford to the judicious reader matter of good speculation. Of such a miracle especially where the restoration of no less than three kingdoms and his own particular safety and liberty, if a good and faithful subject, was at the stake. Pepys was not in awe of royalty to anything like the same degree as Colonel Gunter. He had been in the crowd at the beheading of Charles I on the 30th of January 1649, and it is clear that he had some sympathy with the ruthless parliamentary justice meted out that day. During his time as a naval administrator, he never shirked from locking horns with royalists if, in his view, they were holding back the progress of the service. His disagreements with Prince Rupert of the Rhine, the poster boy of the Crown's cause in his youth, and Lord Admiral of England in middle age, show a lack of deference to those of the highest birth if he judged them to be wrong-headed, and therefore dangerous to the nation. Pepys was a loyal patriot, but not a fawning one. He therefore makes for an appealing midwife in the delivery of the king's tale. There was a great appetite for this unique royal story during the king's lifetime, even amongst his most intimate circle. James, Duke of York, wrote to Pepys in the middle of 1681, saying he wanted to read for himself his elder brother's description of his time on the run after the defeat at Worcester. It was his second time of asking this favour of Pepys. Even though the Duke promised not to take a copy of the account, Pepys dared to set out that this was a journalistic project that was still very much in progress, and one that he felt especially protective of. My covetousness of rendering it as perfect as the memory of any of the survivors interested in any part of that memorable story can enable me to make it, he wrote, has led me into so many distant inquiries relating thereto as have kept me out of a capacity of putting it together as I would, and it ought, and shall be, 
so soon as ever I possess myself of all the memorials I am in expectation of concerning it, which I shall also, for your Royal Highness's satisfaction, use my utmost industry in the hastening. He eventually sent the transcript to the Duke, while mentioning that he was still awaiting the key testimony of Father John Huddleston, a Roman Catholic priest who had taken a prominent role in the tale of Royal Daring Do. Pepys received this in March 1682 from Lady Mary Tuke, a lady-in-waiting to the Queen, who forwarded it to him on Huddleston's behalf. Pepys died in 1703 never having completed his task of stitching together the threads that he had gathered together so painstakingly. Perhaps the death of the central figure in the tale made the undertaking one that seemed less pressing. Whatever the reason, the testimonies he had assembled, and which he left behind in one place, are invaluable to those...